Hello and welcome to Pyres and Sperling Unwired, a daily discussion about business, technology, and current events around the world. Featuring Jim Pyres, a career software privacy and mobile communication pro, and Ben Sperling, a leading professional in digital health and healthcare technology. This program is casual and non-rehearsed and may feature occasional guests or recorded interviews. Let's join Jim and Ben now. Hi everybody, this is Jim Pyers signing on episode seven, Unwired. Just a quick note for today's show, um, Ben Sperling, I gave him the day off. He wanted to watch the Super Bowl. And so instead I thought we would um, try an interview our first interview on Unwired is with Dave Feidel, NBA player, entrepreneur, one of the leading experts in energy efficient construction and building in the country. So I think you'll find the uh, upcoming conversation interesting. Enjoy. Today we have with us David Feidel, a guest, um, a, a professional in the energy and spray foam insulation insulation industry and uh, a good friend um this is episode number eight and today is the is palindrome day so it's 2020. it's the um it's the only time that happens this happens about every 900 years so the last one was 0101 0101. <laughs> so, so, um, and the next one is, uh, will be, will be in the next 900 years. So it's a big deal. It's also Groundhog Day. So welcome everybody to the show. Uh, this is Jim Pyers from Escondido, California. Hi, Dave. How are you, man? How's it going? Great, Jim. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for, you know, bringing me on to talk about a subject that is near and dear to my heart. I've spent a better part of my life in the energy efficient arena and uh you know it, it's it's kind of interesting from the the roots of this and we can talk a little bit about you know my previous career before i got into the energy efficient movement and spray foam insulation 27 years ago but uh thanks for having me on no it's great thanks for thanks for taking your time I know it's valuable. So I've got a couple of questions for you before we jump into that topic. And that is the topic for the show today. So two things that that are happening that I'd like to get your take on. And this is just for fun. Uh, and one's not very fun. So one is today's Super Bowl day. I'd, I'd like to hear your your pick and your reasoning behind the pick for who's going to win between the, the 49ers and the Chiefs. And the second thing I want to hear about is um, for for all the the show listeners, so uh, Dave spent um, uh, quite a good career in the National Basketball Association. He was a professional NBA player. He played for the Rockets, the Warriors, the Nets. Um, played overseas as well. And so Dave's Dave's got a lot of experience. And I'd also like to hear your take, um, you know, on the Kobe Bryant tragedy. Uh, just those two things. So let's start. Let's start with Kobe because that's the that's such a sad event. 
and then we'll move to the more of the lighter stuff on the Super Bowl. So what what'd you think about that? Uh, how did that impact you? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know if you ever got to play the Kobe's a little bit younger, but uh, if you ever played against him or just just your background there. Well, Jim, you know, it's, you know, talking about uh, anytime anybody loses their life and family members lose their life, it's it's a tragedy. But somebody that impacted the sport the way Kobe did, it, uh, it it's a time of reflection, a uh, time where you look at where you're at in life, a time when, you know, you, you gather your loved ones around you and you, you hug them a little longer and tell them you love them. And th- that is what immediate impact on me was um, to lose a great athlete. And, and, a, and a good humanitarian, a good dad, like Kobe, a good businessman. Um, it, it's painful for not only the, the sport of basketball, but also for uh, the country. Um, he was looked up to in, a, in many regards uh, for all the things that I, I just discussed. But, yeah, it's a sad day, a sad time. Um, and we'll definitely miss him and what he did not only for the sport, uh, but for the city of uh, Los Angeles. Uh, it's just a overall tragedy. Yeah, it is. It's it's really hard to understand, you know, the, all, for the families that were impacted and those splitting up of the, the families, the mom and the dad aren't there. They're not together. They're out with the daughter and suddenly they're, you know, they've lost a husband and a daughter or a wife and a daughter. It's yeah. But I, I do have a couple of my own anecdotes, and and this is related to you because you played over in Italy. Um, I played against uh, Kobe's dad, and his dad was overseas. And actually, Kobe was, as a young kid, was living and playing in Italy and in Switzerland, uh, where I was. And, uh, you know, Kobe's well known for being multilingual and speaking Italian and uh, several other languages. I think the Latin languages he was pretty proficient in. And um, you were overseas. Did you ever get to play against uh, Joe Bryant? And, um, you know, just relating that experience to how Kobe was as a as a person, I'm sure that had an impact on him. Uh, where he came from, and um, yeah, I I even saw recently he was talking trash in Slovenian to uh, to Luka Doncic, which I thought was funny. So the guy was very um, talented and uh, linguistically, and, and I think the experiences of him traveling around made it, made a big difference. What do you, what what's your what's your thought? Yeah, anytime you can get that international flavor at such a young age or at any time in your life, that's an important uh, rounding experience for you. Um, I did not get a chance to play against uh, Kobe's father. Uh, He's a little bit older than I am. So I I believe he was at his, you know, at that stage, he was in a different league uh, than I was when I was in Italy. So I never got to play with him, Um, but I definitely, know who he is and what he brought to the game as well and you know he uh obviously was a great father uh for the way his son turned out uh well well balanced individual 
didn't just rely on his athletic ability. He had great work ethic uh, and expanded upon that, uh, not only during his career, but after his career. That's a good point. The the work ethic thing, um, you know, you, you were a talented player. You were, you know, big, strong guy, but um, you had to work really hard to earn your way and you know, the, it, it's interesting to see, you know, when when things come together, when someone has great talent and a great work ethic, um, that's a pretty tough combination to beat. A lot of times, you know, you and I were around for a while. A lot of times the guys with the great talent, they're not the hardest workers. They don't put the most into it um, because they've got such, you know, amazing talent. When you're when you're not talented, it's the only way you get there. That was more my case. Uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't have any talent, but I I worked hard. You you had the you were kind of mixed, you know. You had you had talent and you worked hard, and um, so it 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 is interesting when a guy like Kobe with the talent really has that competitive edge. Um, you know, along the lines of a bird or or a Jordan you know, where they were such competitors, but also were, had great talent. Yeah. I mean, being around, uh, athletes my whole life, you, you see the guys that, um, mature later in life and they have to work really hard at becoming a good player. And then their athleticism kicks in or their size kicks in, uh, like a Dennis Rodman, for example, or a Scotty Pippen, for example, that grew after, um, you know, after your typical growth spurt of 18, 19, and then those guys grew and they worked really, really hard at the sport, um, at their craft. And you get that combination of a, a, a an athlete that um, had some challenges in their teenage years of not being the most athletic. You can even put Michael Jordan into that core category and then they start to they they develop that work ethic early and then all of a sudden their athleticism kicks in my goodness what a combination of athletic ability and work ethic and and wanting and desiring to be a complete player um, that that is a deadly combination and one that's hard to beat that's for sure Speaking of hard to beat, how's the uh, Super Bowl? What's your prediction? Shall we have a wager today? <laughs> I'll bet you well, a good dinner. Sure. I, I'm going to um, go with the 49ers for a couple reasons. One, um, I play for the Golden State Warriors, and back in those days it was Joe Montana, uh, Young were the quarterbacks. And they had a great team, and they 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 uh, had a great system in place. Um, so when I was out there with the Warriors, I became a fan. And also, they have a player named Solomon Thomas on that team that played at Stanford. Uh, he's a, a Capel, Texas uh, graduate. Uh, he played with my son Joshua through elementary school up to the middle school, and then into the ninth, tenth grade. Then Solomon dedicated the rest of his uh, high school years to the sport of football. And even at that young age, uh, 
I saw something in him, his foot speed. He was a big, thick, strong, powerful kid, but his foot speed was amazing. And most of the kids at that age, at that size, are a little bit uh, clumsy or underdeveloped. But Solomon had uh, great footwork and speed, so I thought that he was going to be a really, really good player. I had no idea he would have elevated his game to that. And I know his uh, father, Chris, um, and his mother, Martha, who are just two great human beings. Um, Chris played in college. I I believe he was a uh, three-sport athlete. He did track, basketball, and football. And Martha is a school teacher, like I said, really good, solid uh, family there. And so I'm, I'm rooting for the 49ers for that reason. But I do believe Kansas City has a dynamic uh, team as well. I'm looking forward to a great game. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And it's going to get down to who turns the ball over the most and, the, and with penalties. And if one team can... Um, come and stay focused on the fl- on the uh, field and not turn the ball over and not get a bunch of penalties because they're uh, overexcited about the game. Uh, I think th- uh, that team's in the end going to win, but I have to go with the f- my favorite, which will be the 49ers. All right. Uh, well, that's awesome. And the fact that you've got kind of family friends in the, in the, in the mix that always changes things um so i'll take the chiefs um not for any reason i'm not a i'm not the biggest football fan but uh but i do uh i do like the way the chiefs play and i think they're fun to watch and i like the way the quarterback is so uh creative you never know if he's going to throw it underhand or kick one down the field or just what he's going to do so i kind of enjoy that uh just the creativity of of his game. And, uh, so I'll take the chiefs. You're on for a dinner. Um, do we, do we have to have points or, uh, we're just going straight up? Uh, because they're so evenly matched, Jim, let's just go straight across the board. Whoever wins wins. All right. I like it. Now I've got, now I've got a reason to watch the game. (laughs) A good, a good dinner. Um, all right, well, let's, Let's get started on the, 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 the topic of the day. Um, so a couple of questions for you to get to get things rolling. Uh, one of the interesting things that's going on, you know, is energy. And it's quite a controversial topic. We need it. We've got to have it. It's got to, you know, our, our economy, the world economy, the U.S. economy, it's all based on energy and keeping all these things working that that we've come to rely on um, and there's two ways you can manage energy well you can manage it from the supply side you can keep making more of it or you can manage it from the demand side which means you use less of it either way you know we do have challenges in this sector so given all that and given your experience in I'll call it an extraordinarily meaningful product that addresses the demand side. How do you see things? um, Where did you come from? How did you get started in this business? And, uh, you know, when, when you first got in, was it about energy or was it about something else? 
how did this all start? How did the spray foam insulation um, industry get going? You've been part of it since the very beginning. So give us a give us a history lesson. Help us understand, you know, where you where how you got into it, where it's where you came from, and, um, and then maybe we can get into where it's going. Well, it's funny how you're in, in one area of your life, which was at that time I was in basketball, but that turned into a lifelong commitment to energy conservation and my current role. Uh, where I'm at today. Back in the, you know, we all lived through the 70s, the oil embargo and the price at the, the pumps and, you know, what we were paying and, and uh, energy. We were uh, held hostage by the Middle East uh, because of the, you know, the oil embargo that was going on. And I remember those days as a young man. And when I uh, was playing basketball, uh, professionally, I ended up playing in a town in Italy, in Bologna, Italy, and I started to get interested because over there, energy prices are a premium uh, to heat and cool your house, to fill up your car. Um, it, energy was a premium. And I started to see how the houses were built in Italy where they used mass wall systems um, the wall to window ratio wasn't like it is here where over there it's 20% of the wall. Uh, we're in the U S we're 40% of the wall because people like to have the light coming into the house. And, you know, we have a lot of windows in our homes. Well, over there they have small windows and thick walls and, and thick roofs. And they use this, what they call a mass wall system. Then I, when I came back to the U.S. and I started to look at uh, building my own home, uh, I started to really look at how I wanted to prepare my home and build my personal home. And that's when uh, it just so happens I was in Chicago waiting for a Chicago Bulls game. And at that time, uh, what you do is you get up in the morning, you go to the arena, you stretch out, you go through the the opposing team's uh, offenses and defenses, and they call it a shoot-around. And so we were at the shoot-around, and then you usually go home, you have, or back to the hotel, you go to lunch, and then you have the afternoon off. Well, I wasn't a starter, so I didn't need to take a nap. So I would typically turn on the TV, and I'd watch them home improvement shows. Well, at that time, I, I watched uh, uh, a show on HDTV and they were promoting a product called spray foam where you actually put it into a wall and you close the wall up and it makes it very simple to turn a traditionally built home into an energy efficient home. And the light bulb went off in my head and I said, wow, this is going to be the future. And so I um, started to really look at energy efficiency at that time. I got involved in it to the point where I started a company up in uh, southwest Missouri, northwest Arkansas area called Ozark Foam Insulators. And it's still in existence today. It's just turned, I believe, 27 years old. 
I don't own it anymore, but uh, that was where I got my start in the energy efficiency movement. No, that's a that's a great story, and um, you know, all full disclosure, you and I worked on that together, and I I came and joined you. And, you know, you had this great idea and concept, and I always loved this idea of changing the game when it came to home building. Um, I've insulated, you know, my homes that way, and ever since. And the the fact the the benefits. You know, there were many benefits, not just the uh, not just the R value kind of benefit, but also, you know, there was sound and um, the fact that in, in moisture laden areas, it would um, it was much more efficient, you know, especially in the south where you have the, the temperature swings and and high humidity. Um, I, I think it was highly competitive against the against the uh, let's call it the legacy materials and so that that always i thought that was a, a powerful um part of the the product itself so where did spray foam insulation come from what is it what, what you know how how do you know how do they make it what's the what are the chemicals involved and you know who makes that what's the where do you get this from well, basically, Jim, everything that we sit on today is made out of foam. Uh, or, or we go to bed on a foam mattress. Our pillows are made out of foam. Um, so we take the same technology, the came set, basically the same chemistry, which when it's in its final step, it is completely inert. Um, and we use this for the envelope of the structure um, the same thing is a coffee cup you can pick up a foam cup you can uh, they use it for hot water tanks they use it for um, ice chests. so anytime you want to save energy or keep something cold or keep it hot you typically surround it with foam well that's the simplest analogy for it and we're now taking this spray foam and we're spraying it on a job site instead of put pressure fitting in traditional insulations. And when you do that, the number one thing is you're giving it the building high thermal properties. And the second thing you're doing, because it's sprayed in as a liquid and it creates foam and seals the building. So you're stopping two things. You're stopping the air infiltration to your point, which slows down the uh, the latent moisture in the air from entering the building. And so you can control that indoor um, air quality, the humidity, um, as well as giving it very high thermal properties. And we all know heating and cooling costs aren't gonna get cheaper. So you're able to take a, a traditional stick frame building and make it energy efficiency in a very easy process and easy step. Yeah, I just love that story. I just think it's the, you know, makes so much sense. Now, what I do remember, though, is that while this works incredibly well, the process is pretty difficult. Um, you know, you're you're combining some chemicals in the in the spray gun and 
and someone's got to be able to manage and control all that. And then they, they've got it. The, the application is important, how you put it in the, the walls, how it gets sprayed into these areas. And I, I just remember, you know, 25 years ago, that was hard work and it was um, a skilled work. So what's what's going on there? How is is you know how's the industry changed? How how does these things work? What's happened with the foam to make it uh, better? And what's what's going on there? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and you've seen this, the product being installed firsthand, so you know a little bit about the challenges. Um, you have to have a, a skilled applicator. Um, that's first and foremost. And then you have uh, what they call our smart machines or on ratio machines. Uh, there's a couple suppliers out there that are building what we would call smart technology machines, which they uh, utilize on ratio technologies as well as um, uh, the, you know, a cellular service to um, you know, literally radio a con control center that the material is not being sprayed on ratio, for example, and then they were able to uh, bring it back into ratio uh, through a command center. So there, there's these technologies that are coming out that are uh, out there uh, that are coming online that are helping the performance as well as um, the application side of the business. This is where it's all evolving. When I started the business, we were about 2% of all installs were with energy efficient products. Right now, Jim, we're at 20 to 25% of all installs are using spray foam insulation. So that that is an amazing growth over a period of about 15 years because people want a healthy indoor air quality. They want an energy efficient structure. Um, they, they want something that it, it has structural enhancements to it. Um, you know, this product is is a four in one product. It's energy efficient, stops air infiltration, uh, controls the humidity that comes in and out of the structure, and it also has great sound control properties as well. So there's many areas like. Florida, for example, where they have uh, a lot of hurricanes or in the Midwest where you have tornadoes or in the West where you have a lot of uh, earthquakes. Well, if you're able to take a structure and enhance its ability to stay together, because basically this product, as you're spraying it as a liquid, it's helping glue the project together as well. So you have your mechanical fasteners at that uh, do a great job, but this is enhances the strength and, uh, of the structure as well, and the uplift in tornado and hurricane areas. Um, that's very, so that's very cool. The, yeah, those are some of the the benefits of the products, and <clears throat> the uh, the guys, the applicators, for example, are all certified now. Um, they have to go through a school. They have to learn about the technology. The do's and don'ts, everybody has to go through and do uh, wear their personal protection equipment during the installation because you've got a product that's expanding and gassing as it uh, is being installed. Uh, typical is, is like, you know, steam 
uh, is coming off the product. So you you have to wear your PPE. So the uh, the industry has done a really good job of uh, self policing. Okay, and you mentioned a few technical terms that I think listeners may not be familiar with who aren't part of this industry. Um, you mentioned on ratio. So can you, you know, give give the listeners some definition of what you mean by that when uh, when you use that term and how that applies to this service? Sure. The 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 products come in a A and B container. Um, and the A and B container have to be mixed one to one, and then there's a chemical reaction through temperatures and pressures, and the temperatures and pressures mix in a mixing chamber at the tip uh, of what they call the, the spray foam gun. And then, then at about 1,000 PSI, it goes into the wall and it's laid in, um, and the material is fully reacted in about seven seconds. So it's a very quick reaction. Um, and like I said, the PPEs in place because we are playing with higher temperatures and higher pressures. Uh, but the end result is a product that is completely inert, uh, just like your pillow that you lay your head on every night or your car seat in your your vehicle. Um, that that's the end result of these two products coming together at the job site. That's super helpful. What are the two products? So what is the A and B actually? What what's what's typical uh, when you're when you're you know buying these chemicals? What is in A? What is in B? Well, first of all, the yeah the average guy can't go to uh, a big box store and pick this product up and take it home and use it. Um, they have their what they call cold foam or froth packs that you can pick up at a hardware store, take home and seal around windows or, or, or some areas where you have a, a pipe going through a wall or something of that nature. The technology is very similar, but the, the uh, material that we deal with is a resin and a product called MDI. This product um, is manufactured by very few people um there's only like five suppliers of these products in the world but your b is a mixture of polyol surfactants catalysts um water and and a few other ingredients uh to to be mixed up in this drum and so you take the a and the b you put them into a machine they are pressurized they're heated and pushed down the hose to the tip of the gun where the two come together and make the spray foam. <laughs> yeah, doesn't doesn't sound too easy, uh, but it's it's very interesting. And and so the um, you got pressure, you got heat, you got these different chemicals coming together. What kind of um, what kind of system do you have to to manage that? And I guess these these guys are out on jobs, so you know you have to kind of. You have to have a mobile factory, I guess, to create this sort of thing. You know, how does that work? Well, for the typical guy that wants to get into this business, what happens, Jim, is that you uh, you 
you you contact a, a company like uh, Isonine Lapola. Uh, that's the company I work for. And at that stage, um, you come to a, one of our classes. We put you through the certification class. We let you know what it would take to become a certified installer. Um, it's about a four-day school. Um, the uh, at that stage, you typically have a certification to apply the material. Um, you you then have to go out and acquire the equipment. Uh, we there's several equipment manufacturers out there. Uh, some of the the newer technologies are out there. Is the ones I promote. Uh, which are the on-ratio machines. So uh, then you purchase that equipment, um, and then we help you with the marketing of your comp new company. We help you through the process, and then uh, you have a technical team that goes out there and helps you through the process of installing the products and learning it. And that's kind of how uh, most people get into the business. Wow. So that's... That's impressive. Now, why why wouldn't anyone who's who's a builder, so you know, residential construction or industrial kind of uh, business construction, why wouldn't you use this product? It sounds like it's got all the attributes that would make sense for pretty much any application. Why? What's what holds what's holding it back from being 100% of the market or or 50 or whatever? Why why are uh, how what what's the competition? I guess and why doesn't this why isn't this in everything? Well, you know, we when we talk about uh, our value, and you had mentioned it earlier, there, there's so much more to the the performance of the material versus R value. And when they first did the R value test, think about this. They did an R value test in a vacuum with no humidity and no air. And what it basically did was they put a, a thermometer on one side and put heat on the other side of this vacuum. And they saw how long it would take to raise the temperature of that substance in that chamber one degree. Um, and that's how they came up with the R value. Well, we all know the it, there's so much more to it. There's humidity everywhere. And, it, and if there's humidity and there's static pressure or wind everywhere. And if you're living in a house, I don't care how thick those walls are or how many R values are in that wall. If there's air leakage in that wall, you're going to be cold. You're going to have a cold, drafty home. And so what uh, the foam should be rated on is what we call heat flow reduction. The, the product has a very good heat flow reduction. So if it's able to slow the flow of heat through the material and stop the air infiltration, those are the two keys to energy efficiency, stop air, and then slow the heat flow through the substance. So uh, I believe in the next, oh, hopefully sooner 
sooner than later that the rating of our value is going to be going by the wayside and they're going to go to an a a true wall rated system of heat flow reduction and uh, i think that's where it's eventually going to go and if we rated our products against a typical traditional insulated house we can reduce the heating and cooling costs by 70 percent wow so so if i play that back what you're saying is the way the way for measuring insulation is outdated but that's the thing that's used by let's say architects and builders when they're specifying a, a plan or a blueprint and so how does that change is is that a regulatory thing or is that um has that just become a marketing that's like 4g and 5g or whatever it's just a marketing thing that everybody's bought into or or is that something that's um you know that's actually specced in what, what how does that work yeah that's that's that has been set in stone for so long it's kind of like miles per gallon or you know something along those lines of what the product was rated at and the original test and and they still test to that standard today uh I don't agree with it, but to change that standard is a difficult um, to put into motion. The R value is the R value, but for those folks that are interested in energy efficiency, they need to look beyond R value. Yeah, I don't know. It makes it makes sense. The you know stopping the air infiltration, the heat flow, the you know having a moisture barrier, all those things affect how the heat flows from, you know, through a material. So, you know, um, it makes logical sense to me. I think getting, um, you know, is there a, is there a new measurement rating that's coming out or, or could the R value actually be changed to include those factors or uh, do you see that? How do you see that development? Yeah, there's some there there's some people that are stepping up, and we're looking at what they call the wall rated system, um, where you take all the components that's in that wall and you and you rate them as a system versus components. So if if you're looking at the wall as a complete wall, you can have a better gauge of how that building's going to perform versus taking, you know. The different components of that wall and saying okay uh, they're individual but they do have a say in how that building is going to perform so they're they are changing there's new code cycles coming out um, there's there there's a lot of exciting um, things going on like California is uh, starting January 1st adopted the title 24 out there and and you know what starts in california usually goes throughout the united states so there are some um people that are extremely interested not just um, making cheap energy but saving the energy um, i've always said it's easy to make energy it's hard to keep it uh, if you have a build tight ventilate right philosophy when you're a builder um, you're going to have an energy efficient house 
all year long. We know that, you know, our, our cars, we're driving our cars, they're consuming energy. But when we park them in the garage, they're turned off. They're not running. Our houses run 24-7, 365 days a year. They're either making energy, um, they're making hot, or they're typically making uh, air conditioning. There's only a few weeks of the year that you can actually open up your window unless you're living in San Diego. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was just about are. to challenge you on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I, had to, I had to cut that one out. But uh, yeah, Jim, there, in most parts of the, the country, you're either making heat right now. Everybody's making that. If you're in Minnesota, you're making uh, a lot of heat to try to heat that house. Or if you're in the south in Miami, your air conditioner's running. There's very few places in the country where you're not producing heat or cool for that house. So if you're able to button that house up, tighten that house up, whatever hot or cold you put into there, it stays in the structure a lot longer. And then you don't have to cycle that air conditioner or that heater as much during that 24-hour period. And that's what it basically boils down to. No, it makes that makes perfect sense. So where can, if someone wanted to, you know, someone, one of our listeners hears this and they want to learn about it, what, where would you send them first to, to learn about the technology and learn about the impact this could have on, you know, their structures, uh, their buildings, their homes, where, where can you, where can you find out about these things? What's a good sure. place to I start? Mean, sure. If you're building, it's a no-brainer, folks. You want to go with energy efficiency. You want to, um, just for resale uh, value, the typical energy efficient house stays on the market um, uh, about 10 to 20 days. Your typical traditional insulated house is 120 days. So, you know, build something, build it energy efficient, and market that market it that way. We're we're also seeing the agricultural, um, the farmers. They all have condensation that occurs in those metal buildings that they're trying to heat. Um, we're, we're seeing the refrigeration market using spray foam. We're seeing it. It's now used below grade uh, for areas. Um, you know, that have deep frost lines where you can keep that uh, that slab warm or cool. So there, there's a lot, there isn't an area in the building envelope that you can't use spray foam now. And it, and it goes for agricultural, commercial structures, residential structures. And then the big one is the retrofit as well. We've got 120 million underperforming homes out there. They need to be buttoned up. Um, next to your mortgage, it's your energy costs or your second biggest um, consumer of your income. And so, you know, if you can address that and able to cut your utility bill in half, you're going to have more disposable income to spend on other things like family outings and things of that nature. Yeah, you're going to need that for paying me for the Super Bowl dinner. So I didn't I tell you where I was going to take you. <laughs> uh, 
No, th th this is really exciting. And um, yeah, it just sounds like something that if you're not doing it, you're you're making a mistake. Uh, well, I, I just think it's the education, Jim. The, the yeah. builders that do not use spray foam currently, um, they don't understand where this is all going. Um, you know, callbacks, for example, are builders' number one enemy. Uh, they, they make very little profit on their buildings or their homes. Um, but to continuously have callbacks because they've got a hot room, they've got a, a bonus room that above the garage that they can't heat or cool or second floor that they can't heat, heat or cool, or they have the, the cupping of hardwood floors because there's so much moisture coming into the structure that it's cupping. And then the, the, uh, the problem that you can get if you've got a leaky home, uh, mold issues coming into the house. Uh, they stop using a lot of areas of the country wallpaper, for example, because uh, the mold that would get on the wallpaper, behind the wallpaper. Uh, and, and if you're able to control not only the heat, uh, but the moisture coming into the air. And think about it, Jim. There, there's moisture everywhere. As long as it stays as a vapor and doesn't turn into bulk water, then you don't have a problem. It's when you've got a um, a southern house, for example, uh, South Texas, Louisiana, Florida, you know, Mississippi, and uh, and it's and you're trying to air condition a house, and it's at 75 degrees, and your outside temperature is 110 degrees and 100% humidity, and that moisture is hitting a cold condensing surface, that's where you're typically going to turn a vapor into bulk water. And that becomes a, a source for mold to grow because uh, mold needs three things. It needs food, it needs air, and it needs water. Um, if you eliminate one of those three, you're not going to have mold growing in your structure. So, we, we, we make our homes out of wood products. Framings, wood, um, drywall has paper on it. There's, there's a lot of things in our structures that are made from um, paper or wood products. And those are areas where mold can grow because it's got a food source. So the next thing is you can't get rid of the, the air the only thing you can control is the vapor that comes in and out of the structure. So that's why you want to build tight, ventilate correctly, and eliminate the mold problems. Um, and we all know the respiratory uh, issues that our society's having. So it helps with the indoor air quality of a structure as well. All those mold spores that cause the uh, kids to have asthmas and allergies and, and people sneezing and coughing all the time. So uh, it's an important uh, part of the overall health of your, your home. So you've mentioned wood frame. So, so that's, that's really an interesting explanation um, on the moisture issue. How does, so does, is foam possible to be installed in, you know, 
other type frame buildings like steel frame buildings or it, it is is foam does foam uh, have the same value for example because you obviously it makes perfect sense you know on these wood frame structures what about steel framing and things like that how does foam work in those um, applications yeah uh, the the material um, Jim adheres to all uh, building products it'll actually rip itself in two before it lets go of whatever it's bitten into. So it, it's got great adhesion properties. Um, so for metal buildings, for example, you can spray it right to metal. Um, it, now you've eliminated a condensing surface. So you don't have to worry about the sweating in metal buildings, for example, that uh, are, are traditional uh, with folks that build with metal. Uh, metal framings is also uh, a huge part of our, our commercial work is with the metal studs. But we're also seeing the product being used as what they call continuous insulation, um, where we've taken the insulation from the interior and we've moved it to the exterior and we've completely uh, eliminated all thermal bridging areas. So if you're able to take that material, spray it to the exterior, and then come back with a sheathing like brick or some other type of sheathing, uh, stone, you're seeing a big movement toward the exterior of a building. Um, and then we also make the products that they use on the roof uh, with reflective coatings. I mean, and we're seeing a huge movement there as well, because now you've gotten them monolithic uh, seal on all four sides of the building and the roof. So there's no way for water to get in. Um, there, there's, and then you put a reflective coating that's reflecting all the, the heat, that heat waves that can typically heat up a, uh, a roof that's typically black. If you put a white reflective coating on there, you're bouncing all that back into the atmosphere versus heating up. Uh, the building, which is going to put a, a a load on that building. Very interesting. Well, Dave, I feel uh, 10x smarter on on the foam insulation industry and how these things work. Um, I really appreciate uh, you sharing that and sharing your knowledge. But now it's time for me to point out a couple of things. So. Um, you were uh, you, you and I went to high school together, <laughs> and let's say we might not have been the greatest students. Um, but how did you get so smart in this area? What what? And it sounds like you just got interested in it. But what drove you in this direction? And and how come you how come you did so bad in school and now you're so smart? What happened? Uh, Jim, you speak for yourself. I've always been a good student. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, but, yeah, Jim, you know, as I said earlier when we were talking about athletes that mature later in life, it goes, the, the, it's the same to be said about students. Um, look, we're all in the same race called life, and it's not about who, who started the race out and, and got to the 50-yard mark and then gassed out. It's, it's the guys that uh, have sustainability 
are willing to grow and want to grow not only as a uh, in their you know their profession but in this thing called life and uh, I take great pride in um, trying to be a professional uh, in my field I take great pride in trying to be the best dad I can be um, I try try to take great pride in learning new things of life and and that goes for you know school um, and quite honestly, uh, I skated through high school. Um, I wasn't interested in um, what the teachers really had to say. Um, they just got up, handed out, you know, your typical uh, syllabus for the for the semester, and they went back there and yawned and uh, read the newspaper. Um, I really engaged. Uh, I really liked the teachers that engaged their students, pushed their students. And I, I say the same thing for um, coaches. Um, you, you have certain people in your life that uh, help mentor you, help push you, and uh, teach you the way life should be. And, and, that, and, and that's the way I, I, I have approached life. I'm, 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 quite honestly, I've got my degree, but I'm still educating myself uh, through this thing called life. And, uh, I'm, it, you know, mid-50s now. And uh, I, I think that uh, I'll never stop learning and trying to explore and, and be a better human being. Well, I love that attitude. And it's it's also amazing that, you know, you're in your mid-50s and, you know, I'm t I'm like a decade younger and we went to high school together. I don't know how that happened, but... Um... In any case, <laughs> you were. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you, let it go, Jim. Let it go. <laughs> no. Um, so, David, I really appreciate this. It's. Um, I think. I think the listeners are really going to enjoy this. It's really educational for me. Uh, and um, you know, I look forward to doing it again. I'd. I'd love to hear, in a few months, how things are going and. You know what's next i guess that is my last question before we sh shut the show down what is next i mean you, you you mentioned how this is working today and it's really exciting but is there are, are there new directions for this technology are there new things that are happening uh, you know i was like when when you were mentioning the spray foam on the roofs i was thinking could that somehow collect the heat you know, is there a way to to collect energy in these kinds of foams, or you know, what are you guys thinking of? What's your scientists working on that that you can talk about that uh, might be interesting 15 years from now or something? Well, I don't think it's going to be 15 years, Jim. I just think that the technology is going to continue to um, evolve. Uh, the productivity tools are going to continue to evolve. Uh, the application is going to be continue to evolve. And I also think that, you know, uh, the artificial intelligence side of the business is going to continue to evolve. Um, and, and so there's nothing really specific that I can point to that I'm going to say, okay, that's going to be the big one that's going to leap forward. I think the, uh, the equipment side of it has really started to evolve. And there's one company out there that has really started to push the other um, 
suppliers of the equipment forward. And I have to give it to them, uh, a company called Accurate Dynamics. They, they are the first ones that come out with the on-ratio application, um, the smart technology. They were the first to evolve the flow meters um, and monitoring of the material to make sure it was on ratio. So the, those engineers down there are continuously trying to push that technology forward. Um, I can't wait to see that next chapter of what they have uh, developed. Um, they, they've got some great leadership over there, and I think that that is where the industry is going to immediately move the needle forward, as well as the chemistry. I mean, at uh, you know the the, the Huntsman Icing Lapola uh, group have got some great chemists. Um, they're working towards the next generation of products uh, that can be applied in a safer, more consistent manner. And I think that those guys um, are really going to come out with that next generation of products as well. So, uh, well, that sounds that that's say. that sounds like a whole show. So, if if you're ever interested, we can talk about either one of those things. I'd love to learn more. Um, it's very it's very exciting. So, you know, I appreciate your time today, Dave, but uh, I'd, I'd love to go deeper into those topics at your convenience. So um, enjoy the Super Bowl. Enjoy Palindrome Day uh, and Groundhog Day. Well, did uh, does anyone know what happened? Did he see his shadow? <laughs> Do we uh, is spring here? What's going on? I, I, I heard he came up. I didn't know the results. So uh oh yep no clue san diego we don't really care so it's it's the same anyway but uh so thanks again david uh, that's the show for today appreciate it look forward to ch chatting with you again thanks jim appreciate you having me on board and uh let me know how your son plays in this next game <laughs> i will do all, all right. right and cut
with marble squares There was a wave that killed them all And now the lollipops are gone Forty-seven millionaires On a ship with marble squares Traveling to the nowhere land Where nasty pleasures never end And I wished I was one of them And I wished I was one of them May tell me how can it be That money can set you free Tell me how can it be That money can set you Tell me how can it be That money can set you free Tell me how can it be That money can set you Money can set you free Precious sound. 